0: Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Dan Hubbard, uh, Chief Security Officer at Lacework. Uh, I've known Dan for many years. Uh, We've attended a bunch of conferences together. Always one of the most interesting guys to talk to. Welcome to the show, Dan. Uh, Let me start by asking, what is Lacework? What exactly do you guys do?
1: Sure. Well, thanks a lot for having me, of course. Um, So Lacework, we are a cloud-native security platform. And our kind of goal in life is to help you secure your public uh, cloud workloads, all of your configuration of your infrastructure deployed in Amazon um, and uh, on workloads that can be deployed in, in, of course, Google Compute and Azure. Uh, So we manage all of that, provide compliance, uh, deep level visibility, um, response, and then of course, um, host-based intrusion and detection.
0: Uh, so you are the guys that uh, a company would go to to make sure their cloud deployment, whatever, whatever it looks like, whichever platform they're using, is properly configured, properly secured, and uh, those common, you know, exposure errors are, are, are mitigated.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of people start off with kind of uh, compliance and configuration. Um, You know, the big change here is the operating model is way different. You know, you don't necessarily own the hardware, the network, and all the infrastructure, and the developers have the ability to change any of this stuff in real time. So what we do is we are kind of a technical set of eyes, which look at all your configurations, To make sure that things are being deployed by the right people at the right time and it's not someone that's making a mistake that's going to expose your company or um, in a worst case uh, somebody that is not you that is connecting to your company Um, we also actually have a a service that runs um, on the endpoints so we have an agent which runs on the endpoints in linux and on your containers which allows you to give much more visibility and detection for the actual application level itself in addition to the, the cloud configuration
0: and all of it is automated software based or do you uh, uh, is there a lot of manual effort uh, in terms of your your stuff
1: yeah so one of our, our key value props is automating a lot of the hard stuff. Um, you know the threat surface is, uh, uh, you know many of it is unknown within the public cloud as you know these companies are releasing services literally in the hundreds per year. So every service has a un- every new service has a unique t- attack surface. So a lot of it is automated through something we call the polygraph, which allows us to look at state changes and the relationships of all these services and applications over time.
0: And what is your role as chief uh, security architect? Are you just concentrated on securing the product, or are you also uh, uh, working, uh, say, a CISO, uh, securing the organization, less work the organization itself?
1: Yeah. So it's a combination of things, of course, you know, we're a security company, so we have to make sure everything we deliver is secure and that we're securing um, our own infrastructure and our customers' data in a way that is obviously comfortable to them and compliant. But most importantly, it's about making sure that as a company, we're delivering the right roadmap and the right features um, and have the, uh, a satisfactory or uh, excellent uh, kind of world-class level of efficacy when we are finding things. And that means that, you know, there's not a large signal-to-noise ratio problem. There's no alert fatigue. And when we're delivering alerts, they have the right context, which allow you and your DevOps to respond.
0: You guys just put out a report on uh, containers at risk, uh, basically a review of cloud deployments, cloud environments, and finding uh, a lot of them... Uh, not properly set up or or were in the process of being set up they were just kind of going through the setup process and uh, really zeroed in on the exposure and the risk that those present to organizations. Uh, Before we dig into the results of the study because that's what I wanted to talk to you uh, about today uh, can you just back up a little bit and explain uh, for a general purpose audience um, you know what exactly is containerization, and what exactly is orchestration, and how this ties into the the, the cloud ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, a lot of this. Stuff gives this, me this, a headache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes it does with me too. Um, you know, it, it's all happening very fast. Um, so you know, originally you know developers wrote applications which ran on uh, on hardware. You know, sometimes referred to as bare metal. You know, they bought the they bought the uh, the piece of hardware. They brought it in and they ran one set uh, in one operating system on it, and then deployed their applications um, on that. Um, then uh, virtualization became very popular. This was really powerful because it allowed you to use one physical machine and run uh, multiple operating systems on that one physical machine and uh, virtualize a lot of the applications that way. And um, well, containers take it to a whole nother level? Um, it essentially allows you to run an image, which is an encompassing set of um, an application, um, all of the processes, and all of the operating system in one image. And that image um, can be deployed in a variety of different ways, but it's very simple to deploy and to configure these. Um, now on top of you know, the most popular being uh, a technology called Docker. Mm-hmm. So um, that can be deployed on bare metal, that can be deployed on um, in a virtual stack, or that can be deployed most commonly now within the public cloud. So on top of that now is, let's say you have a website and you have 10 of these containers running that are, let's say, running Apache or something like that. That's pretty easy to manage. You don't have a lot of things that you need to to worry about. But let's say all of a sudden your website gets very popular and all of a sudden you have to, you know, you have a magnitude of growth, a thousand times growth, and you need to deploy a hundred or a thousand of these containers. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really where the orchestration and the management layer where technologies like Kubernetes and Mesos and Docker swarm come in. What they do is they give you a lot of uh, technologies for free that you don't have to build on your own to manage all of these containers. So that's things like um, the ability to scale automatically, the ability to auto heal, the ability to automatically deploy, the ability to monitor all of it, and the ability to manage all of this in an easy, seamless way without having deploy you know 12 different products to do all of that.
0: And, and what you're highlighting in this report, uh, this study that you guys just put out, is that that reality, this reality of this fast-moving new world, comes with a bunch of risks. So let's get into it. Uh, uh, according to the report, in June this year, you guys discovered about 21,000 container orchestration and API management systems on the Internet. Um, does that automatically mean that uh, that entire number was widely exposed uh, uh, actually put the organization at risk or were these just uh scanning results talk a little bit about the methodology behind this study
1: yeah so so um the methodology was that um you know we started seeing you know over the last little while we've seen more and more configuration mistakes happening within the public cloud and uh, this is typically an artifact of developers are doing stuff at a pace and security is either not involved, or they don't know what's actually happening, or they don't visibility to what um, the deployments. And so, one of the areas we wanted to look at was how about, how are people deploying things like Kubernetes and these other technologies in public cloud, and are putting them on the internet without you know a firewall or pro- appropriate uh, access behind them. So the tools we used, um, you know, we started off with Shodan, which is a, a great uh, scanning service. Shodan automatically scans the internet for all kinds of machines, IoT devices, ports, protocols, and other things. So we tracked a list of kind of key terms and phrases. We plug those into Shodan. And that was our starting point for how many of these can we access that are in this bucket versus that bucket. But that didn't necessarily mean that they are open or that, um, you know, they're vulnerable in some way. So from there, what we did was we then uh, used crawling to actually crawl the individual um, results and then look for the response codes. Like, was there a 200? Was there a 302? Was it a, you know, a, um, a 404? You know, what did we actually get the response? Because for each build of each orchestration platform, there was different responses we'd look for. The other thing we did was actually took uh, screenshots. So we actually used uh, automated screenshot service to go through and take screenshots of sample sets of them to see what the actual screen had on it. So sometimes we thought, hey, this one's open, but actually it had an authentication page that was a 302 to another site. But other ones, it looked like um, you know, there was no authentication or there there was uh, an authentication, but then we looked at the screenshot and actually it would show the actual management panel. So we used a bunch of tools to do that, and that was that was great. Then we started data mining the data, and with any research project, of course, you know you start off with one idea, and then of course you find all kinds of other stuff. So we started finding other things, like there's services that are out there that allow you to connect and actually maybe run remote code or stop people's container services. Um, so of the the, the 22,000 that we found, a small number of those had zero username and password. Like, you can do whatever you want. You could deploy your own code. You could run your own application. You could spin up hundreds of machines. You could do all kinds of bad stuff.
0: Was that a small subset of the 21,000 with no credentials? Yeah, it's only 300. Oh, but 300 with no credentials. What about, like, sites uh, uh, not running SSL?
1: Yeah, so the sites that were running SSL was almost 1,000.
0: Oh, okay. um, of, of the sites are actually
1: uh, not running SSL. Now Kubernetes and Mesos now luckily are shipping with default SSL. Um, so then, then the question becomes, okay, what's the risk about just doing this on the internet? Um, so what we didn't do is we didn't try and brute force password attack or run dictionary attacks or anything against the authenticated pages. Um, Cause that's gets into a little bit of slippery, uh, slippery. Slipper. There. Yeah. One, one thing we did do is we took a bunch of default um, usernames and we ran um, some password attacks on our own side and we proved that it's not hard to do. Oh, okay. um, so, yeah. So there's not a lot of airing out, for example, after five retries or, or 15 tries or anything like that. So it certainly is possible and, and attackers, I think, would, would figure it out. Um, the uh, It was one thing we didn't do is like, you know, a best practice would be, for example, is use multi-factor authentication. Yeah, That was what check. I was going to ask. Is,
0: it, do, those, do, do those things ship with multi-factor authentication enabled by default or even available?
1: Um, so of the ones we tested, uh, most do not support multi Factor authentication, Um, uh, Kubernetes actually does now. Uh, Mesos does, and then a couple of the other ones. There's like other projects you have to combine with those projects in order to get it. None of them ship with it on by default.
0: Isn't that crazy? That in this day and age, where multi-factor authentication is more or less recognized as the standard, that you platforms aren't shipping. Uh, even making it available, much less having it on by default. Yeah,
1: I think what's interesting is, you know, you could argue in a consumer product that maybe it shouldn't be on by default because consumer users are, you know, a little bit more technically um, savvy. But these are you know, these are developers. This is the management plane. Um, so certainly it, uh you know, having people walk through a, a step, step-by-step process where they have to set up, uh, that would be really good. Um, one thing I will note is what's interesting is uh, about this research, is kubernetes which is by far the most popular and that's why i think the most they have the most numbers it's it's not really that they're most vulnerable or anything like that. It's just a pure number of like if you mapped the market share, just like AWS had the most servers, um, Kubernetes has the biggest market share and the most momentum. But Kubernetes actually does not ship with the UI on by default. So it takes a whole other step for uh, people to actually add the UI capability. So um, you know if they're adding the UI capability, it should just be hey you're adding this new UI. Let's not turn that off. So they kind of have to go out of their way to actually open these in many ways with their Do firewall you, or. What, what What's the no, reason for
0: that? What's the reason for not for adding that extra step?
1: Um, what's the reason why they don't ship with a UI?
0: Correct. Yes.
1: So most uh, most of these modern platforms are driven by APIs. So they have kind of a. Um, A hub and spoke architecture where there's this kind of master central location, which is very API driven. And then they have these workers, which runs the containers and Kubernetes um, world. They have this notion of a pod or a set of, of pods, and they have this master to worker node relationship. Usually that's driven via APIs. And actually, we're going to do another set of research, which is what APIs are open on the Internet um, versus which are UIs. This one's all about UIs, but next we're going to do APIs. Mm-hmm. So usually people are just used to APIs. They're used to do it programmatically, not with the UI.
0: What's the worst case um, scenario that can come from possible exploits? exploitation of this exposure that you're talking about? Are we talking about full remote code execution, data destruction type of things, or are we just talking about information disclosure or you know something less severe?
1: I th- I th- yeah, I think one of the interesting things about this is um, that the fact that you can manage a large set of machines in a very powerful way and automate deployment and configuration and management of all this is why people use these systems. It abstracts a lot of the really, really hard work that you need to do You know, five years ago. You don't have to buy a server anymore, you don't have to have a management uh, piece of software, you don't have to have scheduling piece of software and all these other things. So that's really great. But from an attack um, surface perspective, the if the attacker happens to get access to the one main location, then that opens you up, of course, to them getting access to everything from that one location. So the worst case scenario is they have full root kind of God privileges to every machine in your cluster and can do whatever they want. Now, that could be delete data. That could be just sit there and watch. That could be pull data off machines. That could be run their own code. Um, You know, the most common thing that we're seeing now is crypto mining. You know, the attackers are just doing this automatically. They find an open cluster. They automatically run their uh, add a bunch of machines. They run their crypto mining stuff on those machines and then it connects out, you know, they make money without having to pay for the CPUs. So that is, that's like a really good wake-up call. It's expensive, but they're not deleting or destroying data. Um, certainly, if they do that, it's that's the worst-case scenario is full remote code execution, running your own apps.
0: And you guys did not release um, IP addresses or anything that could help an organization figure out whether they were found within this 21,000 that, that you found in the, in the midst of this test. And it's, I think it's important to mention that what you did is nothing that Joe Schmo with a ton of time can't do. A lot of this stuff is just publicly... Publicly available information, correct?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We didn't, um, we didn't, you know, I mean, we wrote some tools to do it. We took right. some time to do it. We kind of thought about it, of course, but certainly these are, you know, any, I think one of the, the most poignant parts of the research is that this is on the internet. So you know, it's not, uh, there was no sample that we gathered that we reverse engineered that's really hard or anything like that. Um, you know, the reason why we didn't release all the, um, you know all the information is kind of obvious it's like we don't want everybody to be exposed and we don't want to take it to another level which makes it even easier saying hey here's all the people that you can go hack go hack them we want them to do you know a little bit of work or you know understand and set the bar a little bit higher we have released a number of uh, a lot of information in private and secure channels mm-hmm. and mailing lists We've had a lot of people ask us, you know, hey, do you know if my company's on there? Here's our IP addresses or, hey, can you share in this particular for ISAC, you know, these financial services or energy and things like that. So we've definitely done that privately, just not publicly.
0: And I had someone ping me about what should I do? Um, What recommendations uh, do you have for folks managing uh, these containers and orchestration technology? What are the absolute top five, top Things they need to do to button down the hatch.
1: Um, so in the report, we have some suggestions, and, and, and I'll, I'll go over kind of the the minimal ones. The first one is, you know, regardless of any network level policies, multi-factor authentication just sh- should be enforced uh, for all services. That's the beginning point. That it sets seems the like bar a yeah, it's a super no-brainer. You know, there's so many good products out there now that are easy to use. You know, um, push device to, to your, you know, this isn't two, three years ago where you had to walk around an RSA token. Like, things have gotten a lot easier. Um, so MFA on everything. Uh, you know, apply strict controls, um, especially for uh, known ports that are, are, are uh, um, for the management side. So, you know, if you don't want people accessing it from the Internet, apply some policies so people can't access um, depending on it depends on the distribution. Um, you know, Kubernetes just released something called RBAC, um, which it ships with now, which is role-based access control, which allows you to do it really easily. Some aren't near as good. The the important piece here is that. Security, you know, one of the the overarching themes here is that security needs to get back into understanding DevOps and what they're doing. And that's a little bit of, you know, meat space work, you know, layer eight, you know, what are you guys deploying? Where are you deploying? You know, how are you guys doing it? Um, You know, some of the the under workings, you know, go for lunch and and take people for drinks, those kind of things Mm -hmm. um, to understand how we're deploying, where we're deploying, how they can get ahead of it. Um, and then the other is on you know developer side. Hey, if you're doing this, you got to understand that you're putting your company at risk.
0: Um, right. I ask mean, if it's easy to do. That. I ask if it's easy to do because when I talk to defenders, mm-hmm. a lot of these common errors, these nonstop errors you find around the cloud configurations, is is a result of the fact that it's very hard to get it right. Yeah. And I know AWS has has, has done a much better job of uh, shipping documentation and shipping tools and and components to make things a lot easier to manage. Um, but in this in this world that you're you're researching here is it generally pretty easy to apply these uh, strict controls around ui api ports and that kind of thing yeah this this is this is a lot
1: easier than things like s3 bucket policies Mm -hmm. um you know it's pretty well understood you know one one of the the recommendations we have is to run a reverse proxy or a bastion host where you can focus all your developers to go to. If you want to close it on the internet, that's okay, But make sure that everybody has to come to one very, very secure location first. And then from there, they can go to um, or gain access from there. So that's a little bit about how do I segment my policy and my network in a way to understand that we're going to just spend all of our focus, or the majority of our focus on this one location. That location used to be a firewall. It's not that anymore, but this one location that drives all the policy and orchestration automation. And then from there, and we'll, and we'll do that. And then from there, you can jump to different locations. Now, over time, you're going to have to secure those locations, but start off with something relatively simple um, as that.
0: And, and obviously, the latest work sales pitch is that this is what you do. Uh, All these recommendations and all these blow by blow of what should be done is something you guys automate for a customer.
1: Yeah, our value is that, you know, we're helping bridge DevOps and security together. So we give the security people all the visibility and the audit and the logging of all the events and the things that are running. Because, you know, imagine two to to five years ago, having a developer walk into help desk and ask for, you know, 5000 servers in a Japan data center for the weekend like that just was literally impossible to do. Um, Nowadays, a developer can do that with like three command line
0: arguments. Yes, pretty normal. And
1: yeah, it's really easy. And it's hard for security to keep the pace of that. Like, how do you know that it's happening? Every single time something like that happens, Security has to be aware of it, you know, visi- visibly. So they have to get visibility to it. Then they have to be able to audit, log, and of course apply policy and, and look at the risk and the threat. Uh,
0: you mentioned Kubernetes, obviously being the big the big gun in this area. Are there s- Kubernetes specific recommendations that you have uh, just for, for, for that infrastructure? Yep. Um, so one is
1: uh, deploy RBAC or role based access control. Because um, role-based access control allows you to say, hey, there's only one kind of master account, and then you can limit what people can do when they do log into the management. Like, you, if let's say someone um, breaks into your machine but only has access to monitor, well, that's you know that's not great, but at least they can't configure stuff. Um, the other one is. Uh, Kubernetes has a cool new feature which allows you to deploy read-only file systems. So this makes it very, very hard for attackers to write code to the machines to run their own applications. Um, The other is um, Kubernetes has a feature called a pod security policy. So when you deploy your containers, it's got a uh, built-in security policy that it's contained within there. Is that turned on by
0: default or is that something you you have have to check?
1: Deploy it after it's not
0: on by default. Are we getting to a are we? Do you think we're getting to a place where a lot of these uh th- these things will be turned on by default? Because I always I always I always default to that position. You know, I, when I when I when I question people from Microsoft about the state of state of play in Windows security, I ask a Windows box bought out the store and put into someone's hands by default without any third party security tools or any additional headaches that the average end user has to deal with. Um, if those are not if those are not in there by default, then we tend to have a problem. Do you get the sense that in this world, um, this cloud world, that we're moving towards uh, things turned on by uh, uh, by default, or are there complications yeah, think... there? Does the security introduce complications to things working?
1: It does. So I think there's two kind of interesting aspects to that. One is quite often people use these um, and set up, set up um, containers to do things that are short-lived. So they may say, "Hey, I want to research, you know, something like, well, what if I want to do a DNA experiment and I need 4,000 computers for a week? I just do that for, you know, that five days, and then I'm done with it." Um, so there's a lot of R&D and research level stuff where it's not necessarily quote-unquote production. In that case, flexibility, time, and speed is everything, and they, you know, often go a little bit more towards, "Hey, let's be more open." So that's one one side of things. The other side of things is that Google. Amazon, and Microsoft have all launched managed container services. Um, They all have their own managed container services. Now they all have managed Kubernetes um, services. So what they do there is they actually, they manage all of the management plane and they manage how you can authenticate. And in those scenarios, it's a lot more secure. It's actually a default deny. It's not allowed on the internet. Um, you, uh, there's multi-factor turned on. There's a bunch of really good policies there in that managed side. You lose a little bit of the flexibility than what you do if you run and kind of roll it on your own, but you certainly gain in the security side.
0: Uh, I want to turn a little bit to your decision to move out of research to take on this chief security architect role. Um, was that a big, uh, dramatic career uh, jump for you? Because I know you've been hardcore in the trenches doing security research. Yeah. You can call you guys a startup, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a startup. What um, has that transition been like? And, and, and how is life in the startup world trying to manage <laughs> something as crazy as it is? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's all super fun. Um, you know, of course I started off, uh, you know, many years ago, many, uh, many, many more hairs ago, um, in the, uh, doing uh, security research and, uh, you know, to this day, I still love doing security research and the community is just awesome. And I have so many friends and colleagues that uh, you know, there's a whole other set of uh, ethics there that is just great um, you know, around uh, rallying people together. Um, and at, uh, at Lacework, I still do. Uh, we still do have research and we have a research team. Um, but o- over the time, um, what I started seeing is that sometimes research groups, and this is often based off of size, Um, stopped stopped getting kind of the reality of what's happening outside of the research world. So, you know, you would see this in conference papers and what people are working on and things like that. It's not that there's not interesting stuff going on, but sometimes it's not necessarily the reality of what's really happening. So I have spent a number of years over the last little while at OpenDNS and and now at Lacework. um, I've spent, I would say, way more time Uh, looking at technology trends and how the latest, greatest uh, technology and builders are building. And and what I've come to the conclusion is that, you know, understanding security and and definitely understanding when market trends, big market trends are going to change is a combination of understanding when technology trends are going to happen, when there's an associated threat surface to that, and when there's a beginning of, of attackers going after it. If you kind of get all those three aligned, then you have the beginnings of a big market transformation. And that's really what Lacework is going after. You know, Cloud computing obviously is a massive new trend that's out there, arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest that's ever happened next to mobile compute. Um, The the attack service is broad, you know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of services that are getting released every single year and they're coming out. You know, sometimes I I don't even know the names of some of these new things that come out. Someone tells me about it. Oh, wow, another one. Great. And now we're starting to see that attackers know that this is out there. You're starting to see more and more attacks that are happening, things like Bitcoin mining, full breaches that are in the public cloud. And then, of course, these things like configuration information disclosures. So it's great. you know, I still do a bunch of research. I worked on a lot of this stuff around containers, but I definitely spend more time um, with, the, uh, the builder side, uh, you know, I was just at a, a conference called Velocity, which is all about building and monitoring and doing things at scale. And it's just more, you know, to me, it's very interesting to listen to the builders and how they're thinking about security. Um, you know, and sometimes it's, they're not, which is <laughs> alarming and interesting. And other times they're, you know, there's lessons that the security uh, industry and security community can bring to the builders to say, hey, you know, we've seen this before, you know, the same thing happened five years ago, you know, let's start thinking about how we can do it differently.
0: You're, like you mentioned, uh, an an old head in this industry, an OG. I sound like a broken record in this podcast because there's something that I don't quite grasp. It's 2018. Operating systems are a lot more mature. It's much harder to, you know, all these anti-exploit mitigations built into operating systems. Things don't run by default. We, we, We are at a platform level and a technology level. Things are way, way, way safer than when we started out or even, say, five years ago. Yet... There's a breach every day. There's these massive uh, news stories around uh, compromises, breaches, exploits, whether it's at the top of the pyramid with nation states all the way down to ransomware guys breaking into the Atlanta city government. We've, we've gotten better. The technology has gotten better. People have gotten a lot more educated around things, yet things aren't better. It Things aren't better in the real world. How do you how do you explain that?
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think the... Um, so definitely things are better. You know, if you look at... Uh... You know, when I was a CTO at WebSense, it was all about, you know, web browser exploits. And it was like a zero day every couple of weeks. And it was like PDFs. It was like, okay, we, yeah. you know, we went through the... Java, reader, Yeah, flash yeah, Java, packs, yeah. You know, All these things. You know, that's pretty hard to do. Like that. that's, um, you know, the, the price of those has gone up pretty dramatically. Um, I think one of it is just the technology transformation that, uh, you know, we've taken. Um, has increased the attack surface just so much more.
0: And that I mean, defense just can't keep up. It's just impossible. Exactly. Complexity yeah, introducing uh, risk yeah, that we don't. just can't manage. Yeah,
1: it's a numbers game. It's, you know, my dad could take apart his car like bolt by bolt. You know, my kids probably won't even own cars. So, you know, because everything is now, you know, driven by some type of technology behind the scenes. So...
0: Um, but what does that tell us yes. about what 20 years from now will look like when you, you mentioned they would not, they will not know how to break apart a car. They may not even have a driver's license. They'll be sitting in cars and driving yeah, them around. Absolutely. If, if this kind of complexity and this kind of technological advancement expand the attack surface in ways that are unimaginable, what is it? What does this tell us about what 20 years from now will look like? Is that something that bums you out? Um, you know,
1: I go back and forth on it. You know, there's the, uh, the, the truth uh, sometimes seems stranger than fiction at times. And, uh, um, you know, we, we think back to, uh, you know, Space Odyssey 2001 days. You know, Pal is kind of here now. It's called Watson. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Um, you know, th- th- things like automobile hacking, you know, there's there's definitely the stakes are getting higher. I, I think the the, the class is half full scenario is that as the stakes get higher, I think they're um, there is going to be some pretty significant advancements um, in that. It's kind of what's going to happen in the interim. Um, you know, the, the stakes are, you know, now at a level where it's like, you know, it's not the receptionist computer, you know, with a purple gorilla on the screen. It's, you know, someone dying in a car. Or,
0: um, or, you know, or someone spectrum. someone plugging something into the entertainment system in an airplane and having access to something that can move the airplane up or down. Like, those are yeah. today's realities
1: exactly yeah so there's crazy there's crazy stakes um, so I'd like to think that you know with those those higher stakes um, there's gonna be some pretty significant advancements um, but uh, you know the thing I fear is that there's gonna be some catastrophic events along the way um, yeah that's that, that's the- really That's
0: always worrisome. And the good thing is that it's prompted really significant investments in security. Uh, I I was just at a conference in uh, San Francisco and Adam Ely, deputy CISO at Walmart, mentioned that we're in the gold rush of cybersecurity now. Like money is just everywhere. CISOs and and CTOs and these guys are getting their budgets uh, security is a top-of-mind issue not only for CISOs or chief security officers, but all the way up to the board and the CEO level because they're starting to lose their jobs when there's a big breach or there's a big compromise. So we're in the middle of this gold rush, but I just I don't know. I just get this foreboding feeding, feeling that uh, it it just continually gets worse before it gets better. And even though on the surface platforms might have all the mitigations in place, we'll just never get to a point now where the bar is raised or the cost is raised on attackers uh at a rate uh that slows things down uh, on compromises and breaches is is yeah. am i just glass half empty guy
1: yeah you know or or something something really drives it you know something that, that literally makes it so such a big problem that you know folks rally together to uh yeah. To make sure whether it's a regulation or, you know, some of her industry thing.
0: Like the you worm know, era forced Microsoft to turn on the firewall by default or have yeah, automatic it updates statutory. shipped. Like, so you're saying cat- yeah. catastrophe brings movement.
1: Catastrophe and money. You know, those are <laughs> the two. Yeah, <laughs> those, those are, are the two typically that, that, that go hand in hand. Um, you know, I, I do, um, you know, security is certainly, you know, a recession proof industry, you know, right now. Um, but that said, uh, sometimes I feel like there is, you know, too many companies saying the same thing without, you know, necessarily maybe having the, the real, I, I guess with anything that grows at the pace we're talking about, there's always going to be um, some, uh, some along the way or some non-reality or shysters, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I don't like that part of the industry. Just stop where, looking uh, at you know,
0: funding news. Yeah, it's, I, it's I got no into the last two weeks of just kind of poking around at new startup funding news out of, you know, all yeah. over the world coming out of Israel and, you know, uh, hot, hot VC activity. It, it, there's just so much money being thrown at everything um, for which for which solutions already exist and, and, and are fully baked and uh, ready for deployment. And you just see, you know, millions and millions of dollars being poured into trying to fix problems that in many cases, don't even exist. So that'll bomb you out. Just don't pay attention yeah. to those. Yeah, definitely. A lot of com- a lot of
1: a lot of com- a lot of features that are being disguised as companies. That's really the way I would think about it. Is there's a, there's a lot of people that are building entire companies. That's just one little feature. Have a much bigger project, product, or project. You know, I, I think just getting back to kind of the cloud and public cloud and things like Kubernetes, the open source movement is really driving this, and that is pretty that is pretty a pretty exciting thing because there is, there does tend to be a, a faster rallying call to fixing things and to moving things and pushing the ball forward. And that all happens without a lot of the kind of economical stuff behind the scenes. So I, I do think that there will be some, some kind of driven um, change along the way. And, and the good thing about this is like change is very, it, it's compacted into small time frames. So there was a problem where I was like, hey, there was not a good way to do Role-based minimize access control to kind of decrease your spray zone, and you know, so a few people just wrote up a project and got to the main line and got pushed. You know, that was like you know a few months. So there are there are some really good things around that, and and then and then putting the security back, um, you know, into a services model, I think is is good um, to some extent, taking away some of the knobs and problems that uh, that can occur.
0: Do you recommend people go to uh, this hosted? Uh, uh- version versus spinning it up themselves?
1: Um, So I'm a huge fan of public cloud and public cloud computing and all things public cloud. I I couldn't imagine starting a company today and buying servers. and, and building the network infrastructure and a data center and all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of that. I think the um, then the question becomes: Do you need to go managed or do you do you do it on your own? And I really think it depends not just on the company but also the timing. So at what time and then the project. Um, you know what we're seeing in bigger companies is they're doing all of it. You know, one group will have one project that does one thing. Another group will have another one that does something else. And that gives you an incredible amount of flexibility, but that also that's also where we're running into some of these problems. You know, flexibility sometimes is the enemy of security because you're doing all these things, you're doing it at a rate that is changing so fast. So I think it's going to be a balance of both of those. You know, you certainly, as a security person, last thing you can do is stand up there and go, hey, you know, we're just not going to push new applications and, you know, we're just going to stop everything. Everything's going to be slower. That's just not going to work. So need to figure out how to fit into the new operating model. Uh,
0: Thank you very much, Dan. Really, really appreciate the time. What are you working on? Where can the people find you? We
1: are at www.lacework.com, L-A-C-E-W-O-R-K.com. Working on a bunch of stuff. We're working on another report around APIs. We are uh, looking at a bunch of interesting things around other services, above and beyond um, containers, Um, things like serverless, Um, things like Fargate, which is a a managed container service. So doing all kinds of cool research. Uh, Then, of course, you know, keeping the the product uh, uh, releases um, at a pace, which is great for the customers. And I still hang out at conferences. We're hosting a conference in San Francisco in September. I'll be at Black Hat. You know, the regular stuff still
0: applies. Are you guys hiring? Because I feel like that's what my LinkedIn looks like these days. Every security company is just, we're hiring. Please come work for us. We're in this recession-proof world. Is that... uh yeah. Hiring
1: is always the, definitely number one and everybody's, you know, hiring super hard. Um, so yeah, we are absolutely hiring. We're in Mountain View, uh, you know, in the South Bay. Um, but, uh, you know, we will hire smart people, uh, regardless of where they are. Um, you know, nowadays you have to do that. So yeah, we're hiring, we're hiring researchers, we're hiring coders, we're hiring back end people, product managers, salespeople, you name it. Uh, so definitely hiring is, is super important. Um, especially at our size
0: awesome thank you very much dan best of luck with everything and hopefully i'll run into you at black hat all right
1: thanks a lot good talking again